Well, good evening, beloved. Trust that you are doing well. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want you to go to Romans chapter 4. We're continuing to make our way uh, through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 13 through 17 tonight. So, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Let's read God's Word together this evening. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you tonight and we, we're, we're opening your word and we're asking you to speak through it to us as we uh, unpack it together. So I pray that in the moments to come, what we would uh, have happen through your word is we'd be encouraged and strengthened and confronted uh, by it and see the areas where perhaps we need to change, grow, uh, even be more grateful. Father, we desire that our hearts would be grateful. We want to be grateful, thankful, glad Christians. So help us now as we make our way through your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, promises are a big deal. I think a lot of times uh, we forget that in the culture and society that we live in. Um, we learned this early on as kids that promises are a big deal. Um, one only need to think through the great uh, highlight of a promise kept, uh, thinking about uh, maybe a trip or a family vacation or even just um, to go and get something uh, tends to bring so much joy. But we also know the pain as a kid of promises um, that are not kept, that don't seem to be uh, important. And as we go through life, what we learn is when we use the term, I promise, it carries more weight uh, to what we're talking about. Uh, when we think about and we interact with other people and we tell them uh, that our, they have our word, that's supposed to carry something and, and matter uh, to the people around us. Um, unfortunately, because of the fallenness of humanity, promises get broken, contracts have to be made because people will look for any excuse to get out of what they said they will do. Uh, but when we think about promises, it's important for us to recognize not only the pain that sometimes comes from them being bro broken or not kept or are falling through, but we also need to think of the joy that comes through the promise fulfilled. And, and that kind of is exciting times for us to, to celebrate those promises being kept. I, I think about weddings, you know, you go and uh, a, a guy gets a, a ring and, it, and he goes and takes his girlfriend somewhere special and, and he gets down on one knee sometimes by themselves or with family and friends and he says, I, I want to marry you and I'm giving you this engagement ring as a promise that that will take place. And then all of the friends gather. We think of the coming months. Uh, we'll be celebrating weddings. And it's been crazy to think about, for some people, the different ways in, in, in this particular uh, time where, where people have had to celebrate those weddings differently. But the promise is the same. I intend to. I have the 
um, desire to, I want to marry you. And, and then we, we think about that wedding day and the celebration and that promise is kept. But it's not just kept in the, on the wedding day. It's not just a day where we get together, we celebrate, there's food and fun and, and, and dancing and we spend time with one another celebrating the wedding and it's just a real joyous occasion. And, and then suddenly that promise is n- no longer kept. No, the, the idea of covenant of marriage is that it's kept forever um, until death do us part. That's what we say. Uh, that's what I said to Jessica and Jessica said to me in front of our family and friends in, in Michigan and be eight years ago. It's crazy how time flies. Um, that it's been eight years ago that we made that promise to each other and we wear rings. I, I have on a, a, a wedding ring um, that, that symbolizes that and, and that promise being kept. And we all know the, the heartbreak that can come when that promise is broken, not just in marriage, but in other things as well. But I want to point us to, and I think um, the Apostle Paul does this in, in Romans chapter 4, this idea of promises being fulfilled. And, and the great thing about looking at um, God and, and promises and, and who he is, is that his promises and the way that he keeps them are different in the way that we think about it. And so really tonight, just two simple ways that we want to think about this. We want to think about the, the terms of the promise and then the promise kept. And so tonight we're just going to, to make our way through this passage like we normally do. And, and we're going to, to look first at, at the terms of the promise. So let's look back at verses 13 through 15. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for there is no law, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So Paul begins by explaining the backdrop of kind of the promises of God. He starts in verse 13 for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Paul wants to to take us back to the book of Genesis. He wants to take us back to God's initial promise to Abraham in that covenant that he makes with Abraham, that Abraham will be the father of many nations. But Paul wants to explain how that promise functionally fits into the Old Testament narrative in light of the New Testament. He, he wants to, to pull both readings uh, together so we understand the importance of them. He, he says in, in verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So what Paul is doing here is he wants to structure and make the argument again that we're seeing Uh, The promise of God to Abraham comes through faith and not the law. Paul is belaboring the point, if you will. He he wants to really take chapter four as a whole and, and unpack for his listeners and readers by extension now how exactly we're to understand all of the implications of the law in light of the faith and that justification only comes by faith. We we repeated this over and over again over the last few weeks. But notice what Paul does. He he points out some clauses that help us to understand better why uh, the the law and faith operate in the way in which they do. So look at verse 14. 
For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Here's what Paul is doing. What he's doing is he's structuring the terms of the the law and he's structuring the terms of faith so that we understand that faith precedes the giving of the law. Faith precedes um, any sort of justification. If Abraham is truly justified by faith, then these terms of his promise that Abraham would be the father of many nations, uh, that comes before the giving of the law. So notice two reasons why um, here in these verses that Paul belabors this point. He says, first of all, for if those who are of the law are heirs, meaning if the Jewish people or the nation of Israel are strictly the only heirs and they are the heirs of the promises to Abraham, then the only way uh, for them to be included in that group is for them to be legitimate nation of Israel or uh, people who have come to uh, subscribe to the nation of Israel's laws. If they're the heirs, we have two problems. What's problem one? Well, number one, faith is made void. If the law is what guarantees that Abraham... uh, is going to be made right with God, then putting his faith in God is actually pointless. And and if we were to go back to uh, chapter three and read up to this point, what Paul is saying here is, if you are an heir of God, merely by being born and obtaining and keeping the law, then you have no rightful claim to require anyone to believe by faith. This is what Paul is inherently getting at. He's saying, if you are a rightful participant in the law of God, then there is no reason for you to put your faith and trust in God. So Abraham's exercise of believing, believing in God and it being counted to him as righteousness is an exercise in futility because ultimately you're an heir of the law. That's what makes you an heir of God and an heir of Abraham. And so Paul says, this can't operate this way. We just voided out faith if it's only through being a part of the nation of Israel. And then secondly, another reason why this is dangerous and why we cannot say that the law is what makes us an heir of Abraham and by extension an heir of God is he says in the second half of verse 14, the promise made of no effect. What what is Paul talking about there? Well, he's taking us back to Genesis. And remember, God makes this covenant with Abraham and says, you will be the father of many nations. Well, if you're only able to be a part of God's people through being born in or being a part of the law, then God by extension is saying or is expressing that Abraham's actually not the father of many nations. He's the father of one nation. And there's no path for the Gentiles into the kingdom and family of God if it's only by being an heir of the law. These are the great roadblocks to seeing someone come to be a part of the nation and people of God if if Abraham's supposed to be the father of many nations. And so... We find ourselves here again with Paul making these points that, see, this is how a wrong understanding of justification by faith ultimately um, 
will derail people. And so what he says is, in verse 15, he, he kind of wants to further push this. He says, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. What the Apostle Paul reminds us is, reminds of, reminds us, there we go, reminds us of here, is that the law ultimately points to our guilty uh, judgment. It, it points to the guilty nature of who we are. It, it doesn't point us to any hope. It doesn't point us to any sense of being right or made right with God. We, we can't rely on the law. And that's the whole point of what Paul is saying. Abraham didn't rely on the law he didn't tell people and point people that the way that they are made an heir is through the law. Because if that was the case, then there's no reason for Abraham to put his faith in God. And there is no promise that Abraham will be the father of many nations. So simply put, Paul is arguing that faith must precede the law if the promises of God are going to be kept. And this naturally leads us into our second point this evening. And, and that is the promise kept. Look at verses 16 and 17. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. What Paul does here in these two verses is he explains to us that God is the great promise keeper. He, he, he keeps his promise and by his promise extends the opportunity for all people to be able to be heirs through Abraham. Look at verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. Paul is unpacking for us and showing for us again. And I would make the argument here that Romans chapter 4 is one of the important passages or chapters of the Bible. For in it, we see the, the continual line of the ability to be saved. To be made right is the exact same in the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. Look at what he says. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. And there are two of those five famous pillars we talk about with the reformers, right? We talk about the, the five alone statements. Uh, and here are two of them, again, reminding us of the, the continuity of salvation through the scriptures. Therefore, it is of faith. We're reminded once again, as we have been all through the chapter uh, of the fact that you are justified by faith alone. And Paul adds here and, and helps us to see that it's according to grace alone. It's according to God's good pleasure that we are saved. It's his grace extended to us by putting our faith and trust in Christ alone, we are able to be made right with God. And by being made right with God, look at, as he continues, we'll, we'll break this down phrase by phrase, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also 
to those who are of the faith of Abraham. What Paul says here to us is that this is done. This faith according to grace is done so that God's promise would be kept and it would be fulfilled and it would carry on. And there is no ending to it. This is the one of the, the great passages where we can go and read and be assured of the fact that God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. I don't know about you, but maybe this week you found yourself discouraged because things just don't seem to be working out the way you thought that they were going to. Maybe there was something that was supposed to happen that just has fallen through and you're looking for something, anything to cling to. Cling to God. In an, I was thinking about this today. In an age and era that we live in right now, where we have zero confidence in a lot of the people around us telling us things. We're confused. We don't know where to look. We, we, we look to our leaders and some leaders say one thing, other leaders say another, and they're at odds with one another. We, we look to our news outlets, and, and one news outlet says this, another news outlet says this, and we're in conflict with one another. We, we, we seek and long for truth only to live in a culture that says there is no absolute truth. Beloved, if you find yourself in a situation like that this week or any week, what, what an amazing privilege we have that we have God's word. It sits here. It's, it's open in front of us, and it affirms that God is true. And that his promises that he makes to his people are true and he keeps them. If we were to read through the Old Testament, if, if I were to take you, I could just, we could flip over just pages to the book of 1 Kings. is where I found myself, I'm, I'm working on a, a daily Bible reading plan right now. And I'm in the book of 1 Kings and it's bad king after bad king after bad king. Then some good guys show up. Then, then more bad, more bad, more bad. And yet God remains faithful to his people. The consistent witness of the scriptures is that while humanity remains unfaithful to God, God remains faithful to his people and to humanity at large in offering them the, the hope of the gospel. So I don't know where you find yourself this week, but I do know this, this little phrase, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. You can have confidence in something. You can have confidence greater than in something. You can have confidence greater in someone. And that is God who has revealed himself in his word to us. And Paul says he does this so that it, might be to all the seed. Here, here's the bottom line. There is no person on the face of humanity that upon hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and putting their faith and trust in him alone for the salvation of their sins will not be a part of God's people. That's a great hope. That's a, that's a great truth. There's no there is one way that man can be made right with God. And that one way is available to all of humanity. And there isn't a group that's sitting behind a desk or in a conference room 
that if you walk through the steps through which one might be saved, that only to find out when you get behind that, that there's a group that secretly approves you based on some other circumstance or qualification. That's not the case. There is no secret group. There is no secret club. There is no committee of people who are approving people for salvation through other means. There is one way that leads to salvation, and it's available to all people. This is why the Apostle Paul will continue and say, who is the father of us all? As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. When I was a kid back in the dark ages, it doesn't feel like the dark ages, but to some people, I'm sure it does. I've hit the age of 30, which apparently is, according to uh, some of my college students and even the high school students I interact with, is 30 is the new 80, apparently. But back in the day, and I don't know if they still do it, I uh, have not been in children's church for some time. We used to sing a song where we would talk about the fact that Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just sing this song. And it was basically a song to get all of the movement out of your body so that you could sit and listen to a story or a lesson that was prepared for us. But the great truth of that song that's contained in it for those of us who would hear those words is that if we have placed our faith and trust in Christ alone, the Apostle Paul says, who is the father of us all? Abraham is the father of us all. He's justified by faith. He's made right with God and he's the one that we point to. We don't point to the law. We don't point to doing good deeds. We don't point to being a good person. We don't point to the fact that if you just are nice and uh, eager to help people and an all around good person that you'll suddenly be able to get to heaven. No, the apostle Paul points us again to this truth. If we want to be an heir, if we want to be part of this group that he refers to as the father of many nations, if we have a desire to be made right with God. It is only by faith in Christ alone. He, he says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. I, I just want to pause and, and remind us as we get ready to apply this. God who gives life to the dead. Beloved, if you find yourself watching this, I, I don't know who you are or, or what your story is. I, I don't know probably much about you. Potentially, if this is the first time you've ever watched one of our, our sermons, what I would tell you is, if, if you find yourself not a Christ follower, the Bible describes you as being dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But God is the one who makes us alive. And it, the way he does it is when we place our faith and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. As the Holy Spirit awakens us to our need for him and we place our faith and trust in him, God takes those who are dead and makes them alive. You may be watching this and go, I'm not dead physically. Obviously, I'm not dead physically. If I were dead physically, I wouldn't be able to watch this. Yes, but beloved, you are spiritually dead. And there might be some who are watching this right now 
who have grown up in church, you know all the right answers, but inside you know that you are spiritually dead. Beloved, please, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, please do not delay. Trust in God. Allow and, and believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God will make you alive spiritually but you must trust in Christ alone for that to take place. So if we were to wrap all of this up and say, how, how do I even think about this? The, the first question that I ask about anyone who's reading this particular passage and, and, and wants to know what does this mean for me is first, have you trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? If, if you haven't done that, then anything else we talk about this evening will be an exercise in futility. It'll be a waste of time because you won't be able to do it because you don't know Christ. So if you're watching this, you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I would encourage you, implore you, urge you, all those words to believe in and trust in Jesus Christ. And then I would ask this question, Christian watching this, Christian who's making their way with us through the book of Romans. Does being reminded of the promises of God encourage your witnessing? You know, I I think we're, we're probably reflecting more now than ever on our inability to share the gospel with people right now. We feel like we're, we're trapped. Maybe we're on the back end, hopefully of being, in a serious shutdown. And some of us in, in the past few weeks have gone back to work. We're back around people. When we think about the promises of God, that should encourage us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. As we reflect on the fact that his word is true and his word is alive and his word is powerful, it should cause us and motivate us as we think about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And then, Christian, I would ask you this too. Are you reflecting on God's goodness to you and keeping his promises? I prayed at the beginning of our sermon that God would make us glad and thankful and, yes, even happy Christians. I think the way that he does that is when we reflect on his word and are reminded of his promises and the fact that he keeps them too. And and that should create inside of us just a, a desire and a hope and a joy that is unending. But if we're honest, how much time are we really doing this? Regardless of where we find ourselves, in, in a pandemic and not a pandemic, it doesn't matter if it's May or February of this year. The circumstances around us should not dictate the the intensity with or our intention to reflect and be glad in God. But more often than not, we're driven by our circumstances more than by the unchanging word of God. So I, I would just encourage all of us, myself included, spend time this week reflecting on God's goodness to us as he keeps his promises to us. And then let that drive us to share the hope and joy that we have in Christ. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you tonight 
We are so thankful for your word and, and how it, it doesn't change and how it, how it should cause us to be overwhelmingly filled with joy in who you are. So, Father, create in those of us who are Christians a desire to delight in you, to be glad in you, to be joyful in the midst of any and all circumstances because of who you are and what you have done and how you've saved us. Then, Father, for the person who's watching this that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that they would understand their uh, status as being a sinner, that they would believe in you, believe in Christ, confess him as Lord, repent of their sins, and live for you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.